So this morning, we are carrying on our um, series, uh, The King We Need, um, looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Um, my ner- there we go. I'm always nervous I click and it doesn't go forward or it goes forward five. So um, apologies for looking around and making sure that I'm still on the right slide. Now this is King Canute. And um, he was a king, I believe, kind of medieval times. I think it was 1016. I don't know if that falls in the medieval bracket. I'm no expert. Um, But there's a legend about King Canute uh, that he felt his courtiers were thinking too much of him, that he was almost godlike. And he was apparently a humble man. And he didn't want people thinking more of him than they should. So he took his courtiers down to the sea, and he sat on his throne and commanded the waves not to come in any further to show his courtiers that he had no control over the sea, the tide, the waves at all whatsoever. Um, One of the kind of versions of this legend, I don't know if it actually happened, one of the versions says that it happened in Bosom. So I thought, oh, that's a nice local touch, (laughs) local to us here. But um, if it did happen, it's probably more likely to be Southampton, Bournemouth way. But what we have here is a man who was a king who wanted to show his courtiers that he had absolutely no power and control over everything, and he most certainly was not God. But this morning, we're going to read about a man who did the opposite. We're going to read about Jesus And instead of actions to prove his humanity, we're going to read about a man who's about to demonstrate his power and authority and that he is unlike any other man that we have ever known. So we're going to have the verses up on the screen. I'm going to read from my Bible. That's really small. I hope you've all got (laughs) a Bible to read from. Apologies uh, for the small font there. Okay, so let's start at Jesus. No, Jesus. Let's start with Jesus. Let's start in Matthew um, chapter 8, verse 23. Jesus calms the storm. Could you click on when I get to the end of each slide, please? Then he got into a boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived on the other side of the region of the Gadarenes. I was practicing that last night. Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them was a large herd of pigs. Um, A large herd of pigs were feeding. The demons begged Jesus If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. 
So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. Now, those three sections could easily be three preachers, three separate preachers in themselves. So there's a lot in there. Um, but what we're going to do is go through and examine the, the kind of the common thread um, that runs through them. And Matthew puts them together for a good reason, because he wants us to see the clear message about who Jesus is and what sets him apart from kind of previous leaders in the Jewish faith like Moses or King David, and that the power and authority um, that is displayed in Jesus is unlike what has been seen before. So in the first section, we see that Jesus has power and authority over the natural world. And the word used for storm in the original text um, also means earthquake. So the storm that happens when they get onto the lake is a serious situation. Matthew wants us to know this is, this is perilous. This is life and death. This body of water, which is more like a sea, um, is known for just suddenly whipping up storms and fishermen dying on that piece of water. So the fact that a storm whips up, that's like an earthquake, this is serious life and death stuff. And Matthew wants to highlight the, the, the perilous nature of the situation because then he contrasts it with Jesus was sleeping. So we've got a boat on the water. I don't know if you've ever seen any videos on like YouTube or, or social media or anything that shows you like fishermen out at sea and the, the sea kind of has these huge waves and the, and the boat lurches up over the waves and then it comes down the other side. It says in, in the text that the waves were going over the boat. So you've got these massive waves coming over and you're, they're getting drenched on the boat. Jesus is asleep. And Matthew wants us to see that contrast because he wants us to see the exact, the precise confidence that Jesus exudes by sleeping during a storm. And we see in the text that Jesus um, rebukes 
the disciples uh, when they wake him, a, a gentle rebuke. And you could think, well, you know, he's actually prior to this story, we see that Jesus is healing lots of people, that there's crowds coming in on him, that he's talking to lots of people, and he gets into the boat originally to get away from the crowds, presumably, and to have some rest. So it could be that he's just tired and, and he just needs to sleep. And maybe he's annoyed that the disciples have woken him. And maybe that's a little bit of it, but it's, that's not the main reason. And Jesus isn't even annoyed. We couldn't even say that he's annoyed that the disciples lack faith in his ability to help them because the whole reason that they wake him up is to save them because they believe they're going to die in this storm. So it's not that they lack faith in his ability. So that's not what he's rebuking them for either. But what, what he's actually rebuking them for is their kind of failure to see the bigger picture. Their failure to see who Jesus actually is. That they think that a storm could whip up the force of nature and Jesus could end up dead. He could miss out on his whole calling um, and that maybe he's not, that, you know, God sent him um, to do all these miracles and things before, but oh no, then he died in a storm and that was a shame. And uh, Jesus is saying that the word that he uses for little faith in, in, um, in the text is actually the same as in other kind of scenarios in the, other, in, the, in the Gospels where the disciples have failed to see the bigger picture, to see God's purpose, to see his plan, and they've just dealt with the situation that's in front of them. And obviously at this time, they didn't know that he was the son of God and that he was going to die for everybody's sins. They, they didn't have a clear idea of that. Um, but this is what Jesus is rebuking them for. He can't die at the hands of nature. The control and submission of the seas was always seen by the Jews as God's prerogative. So in Psalm 65, it says, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. And Psalm 89 says, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Jesus was demonstrating a power in calming the storm. He was demonstrating a power that was considered to be God's alone. And through doing that, was revealing actually who he was. He was revealing his power and authority over the natural world. And that's why the disciples reacted in awe, because this was something that only God could do. And now Jesus was doing it. What is this? Who is this man? I remember I had my own um, experience of... of kind of Jesus controlling the natural world. Um, not, in, not in quite the same perilous situation, but I, um, a few years ago, I had kept my horse in a stable for three weeks because she was injured. And then I took her out the stable and took her for a walk, stupidly took her down 
a path in the farm that led to her field, and she thought she was going out. So after three weeks of being cooped up, she realised her field was in sight, and I realised I'd done something really stupid. And she lost her mind. She was, um, she was nearly half a tonne of animal. She was leaping into the air and kicking out at my head. She was, when she hit the floor, she was kicking out at my legs. And I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, I've made a mistake. I can't control this animal. She was beyond my control. You never really have control anyway. All you have is influence because they weigh half a tonne. But I had no control over this animal and nothing was working. And I realized either I'm going to get hurt or she's going to get hurt or she's going to get out on the road and someone else is going to get seriously hurt. And just in that moment, I just said, in Jesus' name, I command you to walk. And she just stopped. And she just walked back to her stable under complete control. And I was like, whoa, what is this? Who is this man, Jesus, that he can make my horse walk? It was, it, it was amazing um, to me. So, but what does this mean for us? Let's go back here. So, as Christians, it means that we are under Jesus' kingdom rule. We have assurance that God is in complete control. He is working out his plans and purposes, both on a wider scale and within our own lives. And we can have confidence in that. Unlike the short-sightedness of the disciples who didn't recognize who Jesus was and thought he could get killed in a storm, we can't underestimate the extent of Jesus' rule like they did and his authority. And unlike human kingdoms where if you are in the kingdom, so if you visit somewhere or you live somewhere, you're under that kingdom's rule and authority. Unlike that, Jesus' kingdom is not one um, that you go to and you're automatically under the power and authority and subject to its rule because Jesus' kingdom isn't a physical place. It's in our hearts. So we can choose whether to submit to that kingdom or not. But being under King Jesus' lordship means that we have purpose. We can know God and love God, but we also serve him and we live a life pleasing to him rather than pleasing ourselves. You know, everyone is enslaved to something, whether it's fame, wealth, addiction to something, to name a few... But under King Jesus, we are enslaved to him. And we sang this morning how we're, we're a child of God. We're no longer a slave to sin. And being enslaved to God is actually the freest type of enslavement. Romans 6, 23 says, But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the next section is Jesus' power and authority over the supernatural and specifically in this bit, the, the demonic 
So the previous example showed us Jesus' authority over the physical world, the world we see, and now we are seeing that his power and authority extends to the non-physical world, to the demonic as well. The demons in the passage recognize Jesus and his authority instantly, even if they don't accept it. And their non-acceptance of it does not diminish Jesus' power and authority in any way. The devil and his followers are not equal to God, and we can conclude from these verses that they know their time is limited and their fate is already sealed. The presence of the pigs in, in this story suggests that this is a Gentile area um, and is probably the first time that Jesus steps outside of Jewish soil um, and into another region. And we know that it's probably Gentile because the Jews were forbidden from keeping or eating pigs. And since there was pig farmers there, it's not going to be a Jewish um, place. So, so Jesus is stepping outside of Jewish soil and what an entrance he makes into the rest um, of the world. The stampede from the pigs sounds a bit dramatic, that all the pigs stampeded into the water and died. Sounds a bit dramatic, but it actually serves as kind of evidence of the conversation that goes on um, between Jesus and the demon-possessed men. And then seeing the pig stampede down, it kind of provides that evidence that what Jesus is saying has happened. And in Mark's account, in Mark's gospel, um, in his account of the same scenario, he tells us that, that one man on being restored to his right mind follows Jesus afterwards. And what a testimony about Jesus that is. But Matthew doesn't include that here because Matthew's focus is on showing us Jesus's power and authority. Although that's amazing, the, the transformed life of the demon-possessed men Actually, what Matthew is trying to be really clear about is, look, this man has power and authority. There is something going on here. He doesn't want to distract us with other details. And this event also points forward to God's plan for the gospel to reach all nations and to be taken to the Gentiles. Um, So it's kind of a, a foreshadow of that. And the people's response in this situation, we have the healed man, the, the, the demon-possessed man who was healed. He chooses to, to follow Jesus, and we know that from Mark's gospel. He wants to leave everything and follow Jesus. This is amazing. He's now in his right mind. Um, but other people in the area, in the region, they want Jesus to leave. He's perceived as a threat and it could be said that, that they preferred pigs to people. And uh, maybe they preferred their livelihoods, their money, their income. And they didn't want Jesus around sending all their herds of livestock into the water to drown. They'd rather have their livestock than have their lives restored by Jesus. See, because Jesus is trouble and he causes a stir when he's around. And you definitely can't ignore him. So what does that mean for us today? It means for us that we have assurance of God's protection. We are under King Jesus' protection. 
both in the natural world and in the supernatural world, Jesus' kingdom authority extends and he protects us in the situations we face, just like with the disciples on the boat, and he protects us from the work of the enemy. And I don't know what you think of these verses, um, of this account of demon-possessed men um, and a kind of an exorcism, um, pigs running into the water. I, you could be cynical. You could be thinking, oh, I, don't, I don't think that really happened. It's just, a, just kind of a, I'm sure there's some other explanation. Um, or you might be indifferent. Or you might think, yeah, I believe it. I believe all of that. And I just wanted to share kind of from, from my own um, kind of walk with God, um, an experience that I had. It can sound a bit weird, um, but I remember once I, um, it's only happened once, I was asleep on my sofa and I woke up and I suddenly felt like something swooped down. I couldn't see anything. Something swooped down and pinned me to the sofa. And I felt I couldn't move. And I was kind of pinned there. But I knew in my heart that all I had to say was Jesus. And I said, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you. And as soon as I said Jesus, it went. Whatever it was, went. And that could that sound a bit weird. It's like, what is that about? But you know that there is a supernatural world. Jesus is supernatural. He's not just part of the natural world. He is supernatural as well. And there is the demonic as well. But Jesus is powerful. He has power and authority. It wasn't me on that sofa getting rid of whatever it was that I felt was there. It was Jesus. It was his power and authority that did that. He is an amazing God. It says in the Bible, um, in Philippians, Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has all power and authority. Moving on to the, to the final section. Jesus has power and authority over sin. And I, I find it interesting that through these kind of three stories, we start off with Jesus' power over the tangible world around us. We then see in um, the second part, Jesus' power over the world we can't see, the, the kind of supernatural, the demonic, um, as part of the supernatural. And then in this last section, we see Jesus' power and authority over sin, which affects our individual kind of physical and spiritual, tangible and untangible um, self. And in the final event, Jesus is back in his own town again, a Jewish town, which is important because what happens next has meaning in a Jewish context. Jesus takes it upon himself again to do what only God can do in healing the, the paralyzed man. There was a deeply rooted conviction in Judaism 
um, in the Jewish people that sickness was a result of personal sin and that if you were sick and you didn't get healed, it's because you had not been forgiven. So these two things were very much linked in the minds of the Jews. Now here to us now, when we read these passages, we might think, well, what's the connection here? What has, it, what has being forgiven got to do with being healed? But this is why. The, for the Jewish people, these two things went together. And the Jews knew that only God could forgive sin. So, so to forgive, as Jesus does here, they consider it blaspheming because he is, in effect, claiming to be God. And for us sitting here, we, we know that he is God. And it's easy for us to look back and go, well, that's because he's fully God and fully human. Um, but it was staggering to the Jews there because this was a massive thing that Jesus was claiming. Just an important note, just that's the view of the Jewish tradition. But for us here, we, we don't consider all sickness to be related to sin. If you are unwell, and you know, I don't want you kind of thinking, oh my goodness, it's because I've sinned and I haven't been forgiven and that's why I haven't been healed. We don't consider it so linked in that way. And it can be the case that sickness can be related to sin, but not all sickness is, is directly as a result of personal sin. So please don't be feeling condemned this morning. But in this situation here, Jesus, who sees all the hearts of the people in the situation, he has discerned that in this man's particular case, that his sickness is as a result of sin. And as well as setting him free, it provides Jesus with an opportunity to demonstrate his authority. And Jesus asks in the passage what it's easier to say. And of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. You could go around pretending to be God, saying, your sins are forgiven. Go well. And there's no, there's no proof needed. Nobody could say oh, that, that didn't work because there's no visible proof. But here, where Jesus then commands the man to get up and walk, and that man does get up and walk, which is the harder thing to say, get up and walk, it proves that Jesus has forgiven this man's sin because then he is healed. So to the Jews where this is all linked, this is huge. This is massive. Sorry, lost my notes, got carried away. <laughs> there we go. Jesus wants everyone to know that he, as the Son of Man, has authority to forgive sins on earth. And this is actually part of God ushering in his kingdom. You know, God made promises to the Jews um, in the Old Testament. We can see in Isaiah, no one living in Zion will say, I am ill, and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. And in Jeremiah, it says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me 
from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And passages such as these are called kind of end times promises. Um, this is what the, what the Jewish people were looking forward to, that God would come and rescue them, that he would deliver them and he would bring them to a land of their own. But they were expecting a physical land. They weren't expecting this. But these are kind of end time promises. And these scriptures would have been known to the Jewish people. And Jesus forgiving someone's sin and enabling them to be healed and walk would have brought this sharply to mind. Jesus is claiming that godly authority here on earth. Not only is Jesus making claims about himself, but also that promises made in the Old Testament are starting to be fulfilled. God's kingdom is coming here on earth. Jesus is ushering it in through this act here. Demonstrating power and authority that only belongs to God. It's big. And we can see it's big because of the responses of those there. They were filled with awe. This man who they've known as a paralyzed man who doesn't move. And the next thing they know, he's, he's getting up and he's walking. What is this? What is this man who is, who's healed him, who's forgiven his sin? They were filled with awe and they praised God. But the teachers of the law were offended. They were offended at what Jesus had done. And that's so often the reaction that we can see in people today. Either people get up and they praise and they worship God and they give their lives to him. Or they're offended. They're offended by what he's come to say. And what does this mean for us today? It means we, are on, we, we have assurance of forgiveness. Because we are under King Jesus' provision. Jesus provided himself as an offering for sin. If God did not spare his own son, then how will he not graciously give us all things when we ask? Jesus has power and authority over sin. And we've heard some of these passages already today. Again, lost where I am. If the son sets you free, you are free indeed, it says in John. Are you doubting your forgiveness? Are you struggling to believe that your sin is dealt with? Do you still feel guilty and like you need to earn God's forgiveness? Over sin, Jesus is Lord. On his authority, you are forgiven and can stand in that forgiveness. John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We heard that this morning. Maybe God is really trying to nail that home for people here this morning. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. It's dealt with. It's done. You can let it go. Hallelujah. Whether we need Jesus to provide material things of this world healing for our sicknesses or payment for our sin, we can trust in him, in his kingship to do this for us. Matthew has laid out for us 
a demonstration of Jesus' divine authority and power over the world we can see, the world we can't, and sin. What sort of man is this that controls winds and seas, casts out demons, and has authority over sin and sickness? It's Jesus, our King. All power and authority has been given to him. That's a spoiler for the end of Matthew, by the way. If Jesus is not your king here this morning and you, and you haven't given your life to him and you're not a Christian, then simply these benefits are not yours. But Jesus wants them to be. You can change that this morning. You can live under the security of his kingdom and his kingship, his authority and power says in Revelation, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And how shall we respond this morning? We've seen the responses of, of the others in the verses and what they're, how they responded to each situation. But what's our response How does it change our walk through life if we truly know that Jesus has authority over everything? If we truly, truly walked in that belief, how would it change what we do? Our perspective on things is a challenge because it involves faith and trust. It makes us feel out of control. Can we give that control to Jesus? Because we never really had it anyway. Can we live in the peace of knowing that Jesus sits on the throne, the author and perfecter of our faith, that he knows what he's doing, even when our path leads us through storms? And I, I would suggest, you know, like, like the demon-possessed man who was healed and then just gave his whole life to God, that he just submitted and worshipped Jesus as Lord that's probably just about the, the right response this morning to Jesus' power and authority. And in, in a second, I'm going to hand back over to Johnny because we're going to take communion together, um, which feels like a fitting response um, to Jesus. And I just want to offer that, you know, during communion, if you feel like that any of this um, through, the, through the worship, through the words that have been shared or, or through the preach, if any of this is resonating as something you're struggling with in any way, you know, maybe during communion, find someone who you trust, who can pray with you, who can pray for you. And any of us, you know, up the front would be happy to pray for you as well. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. Don't miss this opportunity to put something in prayer and leave it at God's altar this morning. And I also want to extend to anybody who, who doesn't know Jesus yet, who doesn't feel that Jesus is Lord of their life, you know, come and pray with somebody, come and talk to somebody about making him Lord of your life.